There is another king. Gospel as politics, notes towards a theology of community. Stephen Joel Garver, LaSalle University, Philadelphia, USA. Introduction. When Paul and Silas were accused by a mob in Thessalonica, among the charges brought against them was that they proclaimed that there is another king, this Jesus, Acts 17.7. Whatever the intentions of the mob may have been, this incident shows us that the gospel message heralded by Paul, that Jesus as the Messiah has been made Lord, was a message easily and credibly heard as a political message in the context of the ancient world. This was even so when those bearing the message were busy, with what we would see as church work, proclaiming Jesus, explaining the scriptures, and baptizing converts. And yet in our world, the gospel is often heard only as a message about personal salvation or about distant events in a distant history or the promise of a new kind of spiritual experience. Even where the gospel does lead to political involvement, more often than not, it is seen as the intrusion of religion or the church into secular space, either by projecting one's private religiosity into the public square or by dangerously colluding with the powers that be or by attempting to wrest their power from them. In the following essay, I will argue that the way things now stand is deficient and that the gospel does not merely lead Christians to enter into and engage themselves within secular political space. Rather, the gospel is politics, a politics, moreover, that questions the very constitution of any social space as secular, or the relegation of politics to that space. The gospel thereby begins to redefine what we mean by politics, allowing our understanding of the political to migrate from ordinary understandings of it in narrow terms of civil administration, whether presupposing secular space or not, to a broader and a logically refracted concept of politics as encompassing the entire ethics of community and its common good, preserving politics to a broader and a logically refracted concept of politics as encompassing the entire ethics of community and its common good, preserving politics as a normative discourse and practice embracing the various structures and patterns of human association under authority. Moreover, though our everyday grasp of the political may begin in our encounter with the sphere of civil magistracy, my claim is that, ontologically speaking, politics is rightly founded in the claims of the gospel and the establishment of the church. I will begin by examining and deconstructing the notion of the secular as an artifact of the Enlightenment, noting how it has come to constrain the ways in which Christians and the church have seen themselves as related to the political. In the second half of this essay, I will attempt to sketch the ways in which the gospel refashions politics around itself through its very message about a new king and new lord, through the establishment of the church as the center of God's reign and through new practices, in particular baptism and Eucharist, which are themselves politically transformative. Deconstructing the Secular In order for the politics of the gospel to be heard and grasped, it is first necessary to dismantle some of the assumptions that are often brought to discussions of civil order and faith, assumptions that may well distort what is meant by the claim that the gospel is politics. These assumptions are typically modern, the modern referring to those varying perspectives that have been widely operative since the 17th century and which share many common themes and notions ranging over the realms of politics, epistemology, ethics, and metaphysics. 
Such assumptions include the conception of the secular as a particular social space as opposed to the religious, a limiting of the political to that secular space and conceiving it primarily in terms of struggle for power, an abstract opposition between society and the individual, or the public and the private. These assumptions, in turn, are tied up with more evidently theological ones, a separation of reason and faith, a sharp division between the order of nature and that of grace or the natural and supernatural, a dichotomization between the exterior or objective and the interior or subjective, and so on. Moreover, it is arguable that this entire set of assumptions involves relations of mutual support and thus comes together as a single package. I will explicate some of these assumptions and dynamics presently, while leaving the rest to be addressed in my more positive account.